0: Turn in your copy of God's Word to Romans 8, where we've been for some time and will continue to be for several weeks. As you're turning there, I had this thought this past week as I was sermonizing, as it's uh, called, That's the work of studying and preparing to preach, it's it's maybe an archaic term, but uh, there's when when god's word is your there's a sense of you look at it to get the meaning you're understanding it looking at the greek but then there's a a season where it just stews for maybe a day maybe several days depending upon how early in the week you've uh you've devoted your time to god's word but just a time where it really uh, uh boils within you and and simmers uh to where it takes an effect in your own heart. And that's really where you begin to reflect on how does this truth apply to life. And tonight's truth is a very common one. I think one that we all probably know and love, hopefully. Maybe, maybe not. But I was, as I was reflecting on this, at some point in the week, I don't even necessarily remember the exact instance, but I was observing Malachi play the game of tag. And he's right at that age, about three years old, where he's starting to get this. He just, he loves to run already. I mean, he just runs crazy. But this is kind of a, a controlled crazy type of run, <laughs> the game of tag, isn't it? Who here loves to play tag? Any, any adults? Yeah, some children? All right, good. Good. I still love to, to play the game of tag. But I think we all know the children's game, right, where everyone runs around. There's a designated area, boundaries typically. You know, there's one person who's it you know, the person that everyone else is trying to avoid, who's trying to go and touch others. And when they touch you, you know, then you become the person that's it. Or, uh, or there's some, you know, there's many variations of this game, freeze tag and, and anything else. This was like a staple when I was at camp. You know, every year, at least one night, we were playing some sort of crazy game when at its base it was really just tag. But, you know, one year we might add... Glow sticks, and the next year we had add pool noodles or something. But it was just children running around <laughs> trying to avoid other people. But in the midst of tag, there's also this one area known as base, right—the safety zone, the place where you can run to to avoid capture or to avoid being touched, to avoid becoming it, in you know, or being frozen or whatever the rules of the game are. But there's a base that you can run to. And life can sometimes seem like a big game of tag, doesn't it? Sometimes often, maybe not, where you're running around sometimes aimlessly, other times intentionally, but you're trying to avoid disaster, you're trying to avoid setback, you're trying to avoid grief, and you're seeking peace and safety, right? we think about just the base of of life, sometimes we can maybe see this correlation between the basic premise of the game tag to our own pace of life. Maybe not. Maybe some of you have a more scheduled, more peace-filled life than others. But I think you see the picture. And oftentimes in life, we find ourselves in one of these categories. We're running around just waiting to be tagged. Some of us maybe find, think we're slow and non-elusive. We don't have the cheetah instinct and we find ourselves always it, always beset by disaster or setback or grief. Or third, some of us maybe find ourselves just going along and then tagged unexpectedly. But no matter what category all of us find ourselves in we all want the safety and the security of base don't we we want to go to that place where we can't be touched where we can't be where we can't be tagged and so tonight I want to show you the base of the Bible the base of the Bible the impenetrable wall of safety for the believer the safety zone, the place that we can run to anytime, anywhere, and in any circumstance. And it's found in this familiar verse right smack in the middle here in Romans chapter 8. A verse that we could probably all quote, Romans 8, 28. Turn there if you haven't yet Look there. And let's read it together. If I'm reading from the NASB. If you have a different version, pull out the NASB uh, in the pew in front of you. But let's read Romans 8:28 together. Follow along with me here. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We find this verse now in the flow of Paul's uh, uh, discussion here, his teaching, rather, on, on the Holy Spirit and sanctification and the reality of suffering in the believer's life here on earth and the promise then that glory is coming. If you've been with us for weeks now, you've seen this in the preceding verses here. But chapter eight is all about the Holy Spirit indwelling the believer's life here who's growing us, maturing us, conforming us to Christ's likeness, and yet the reality of of suffering here in life that we all go through, but that even as a means that the Holy Spirit uses to sanctify us, to refine us. And we have this hope in the midst of that, love, glory that's coming. And so while we wait, we groan and we persevere, right? Both creation and us, as we've seen. Indeed. As we wait for glory here, we persevere. And so thankfully, that as in this process of waiting, uh, the believer, this process of persevering. through life, waiting for glory to come, God has helped us in this, in this process. He's helped us here in this life by, one, giving us the Holy Spirit, who prays for us sympathetically by groaning, and who also prays for us specifically according to God's will, that we ourselves don't know his, his hidden will. We know his revealed will to us as we looked at last week, but thank God we have the Holy Spirit. And so second tonight is we're going to see that he's also given us truth to know and to love. The truth of the sovereignty of God in all things. So first he's given us the Holy Spirit and now second tonight we're going to see he's given us truth that we know and love both in our minds. These things that we know here that we can be confident of and things that we love in our hearts. The things that elicit these desires and affections for us. And so this is, this is great. These truths that we need to know and love here found in, in 28, 29, and 30. And this, this is rich stuff here. And it's actually why we're, we're going to spend a total of six weeks in these three verses. Beginning tonight and now for the next five weeks, we're going to open up these truths that we love. Truths that we love here. We must know and love these things in order to make it through life. And so I want us to all have a great understanding and a deep affection for these truths. So, like kids beginning their game, we've seen where this verse fits now, but now we have to uh, to establish a few things before we get ready to play the game of tag, right? We have to when you're all the kids gather around. Maybe it's a neighborhood game, maybe it's a, an awana game. But you gather and you establish the boundaries, you establish the rules. The kids are starting to get their game face on. But we have to establish some things about this base. And so Paul begins here in verse 28 with really the beginning confidence. As you are approaching the game of life, as we are walking through this life with the Holy Spirit in us, and and knowing that suffering is around us, we be, can begin with confidence look how he begins these first three words and we know and we know why are those words so sweet why are those so words so uh, so glorious to us as we come to this right now because what did we see back in verse 26 and we do not know Right? And so here Paul is comparing here, we do not know how to pray. As we go through life, we don't know how to pray. That's why we need the Holy Spirit in us. That's the weakness. But where we don't know the hidden will of God, beloved, here is something that we do know. Here's something that we do know, and there's a beautiful progression as through this argument here. In, in 26 and 27, we go from confounded to the will of God. We, we're confused here. Maybe we don't know exactly, but we go then to confident in the things of God into the sovereignty of God and his providential work on our behalf, to then verse 29 to conform to Christ. And isn't that the isn't that the, the, the progress of, of sanctification? Isn't that how sanctification and God's work of maturing us in life goes? We're confused. We're confounded. We become confident in God's sovereignty. We go back to that, and then the, and then we're conformed to Christ. We're, we're made like Him. It's beautiful here, and so this is what we how we begin confident. We know these things, the truth we are about to that that we're about to explore here in the rest of this verse, verse twenty eight is something that we can be confident in. This is something that we know no matter what, we know that He is sovereign. And so as we look now at the base, here's, that was our beginning confidence that we begin with. Now let's look at, well where is the safety found? And then we'll look at who is safe in the base, okay? Where is the safety found and who is safe there? Where is the safety found? Well, let's just keep walking through the verse. And we know that who... God, Our safety is found in God. He's the conductor. He's the orchestrator. He's the overseer. He's the mover. He's the originator. He's the all-powerful one. He's the one who holds all things in his hands, controls the movements of all creation, from the stars in the sky to the waves in the ocean to the affairs of yours and mine life. It's God. We know we can be confident in this safety because it's found in God. Can God fail? No, he cannot. Is God perfect? Yes, he is. Can can God ever go back on a promise that he has made? No. He he has created this world. He He has designed everything. And he is intimately involved in it all. And so we know. So we know, beloved. So we can be confident. So we can find safety in the fact that it is God who provides the safety. It is God who causes all things to happen. It is God who is at work. And so this is found in God. He is ultimately the one who's upholding it. He is the one who is is underneath it. He is the one who's holding it in motion. He is the one who holds things from falling apart. Safety is also then found into the extent of these boundaries, into all things. And what does all things entail? All things. Everything there's nothing that is outside the boundary. There's nothing outside the the reach of God's hand. He controls all things. Really? Yes. Nothing is exempt. Nothing is left out. Nothing is, is unforeseen or surprising to God. And so we can be confident in this, that it is God who is working in all things. And so what does that entail? Well, all things, but specifically suffering. Here, this is, is we follow the flow of thought here. What have we just come out of in suffering, in our own weakness? God is, he is in control of all these things. He is orchestrating all of these things. Yes, even suffering. Yes, even the list in verse 35. Look down there with me. We'll get to this in, in several weeks here. But God is over all these things. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, the sword. Yes, even over those things. Look over in verse 38. God is over... All things include these things as well. Death, life, angels, principalities, things present, the future, powers, and height, depth, any created thing. None of those things will be able to separate us from the love of God. Because He is in control of all of those things. That's included in all things. Also from the context here, in in the... Verses that are coming. Verses 29 and 30. Even our salvation is included in all things. Is God sovereign over uh, who will be saved? You bet your salvation on it. You better hope that it is up to Him. Because if it was left up to you and I, in order to attain heaven, would we ever get there? Not a chance. Not a chance. If it was left up to my own affections, if it was left up to, to my own good deeds, I would never get there. But praise God, this, this chain of salvation that we'll look at in a, in a few weeks here, this, this chain, even our very salvation, is in the hands of God. How you came to Christ, how he worked out these things, God was in control of the people that you spoke with at the moment of your conversion. The Bible verse that was open to your eyes to see the depth of your sin and the free grace and the love of God. God was orchestrating all of those things that you might be at that time talking to that person or opening the Bible to that scripture or hearing that person talk to you or going to that camp or that event, that men's event, that women's event, in that Sunday school, wherever you were at the time of your salvation. God was sovereignly working that out. God causes all things from our suffering to our salvation to happen. He is in control of of all of those arenas of our life. Even in the process of sanctification, whatever has been moving you in, in, in the different areas of your life. From your work, to school, to family, to church, where you go to church, what you do. God is in control of all those things and He's putting these people in your life, this, the Word in front of you to see. To be changed by. To be corrected by. To be conformed to Christ. And so it includes all things, from suffering to salvation. And you know what? When we are experiencing whatever in our life, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in today, is we can find safety in the sovereignty of God, knowing that he is over all of them. That whatever I am in is not unforeseen or surprising to God. This leads us to say, yes, even the horrible things that may be happening in your life, God has allowed them. We would never go to say so far to say that he has authored them. You know, that God tempts no one to sin. God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. So we wouldn't say that God has authored sin, but he has allowed them that they are a tool being used for ultimately our good. Safety is found in God because he holds it. The safety is found in all things because God is over all things. And we know that the end goal, what is working out from all of these things is our good we're told now that all of our life experiences from the horrible to the happy are working out for our good it's important to note here as he as he goes as he's explaining these things here that he's not saying paul's not teaching here and we would never say that all things are good because sin may be happening in your life there may be terrible things that have happened to you but those things aren't necessarily good but God is orchestrating them in your life so that the effect on your life is for good, for your benefit. And that good that may be working out, that good that may be having its effect in your life, it's not saying that these are material possessions. Not saying that he's working out all things so you can have a bigger house or, or a, a better job or good feelings not necessarily saying all those things that might be the benefit but he's not working all these things out for that you might be blessed financially but what he is saying what is for our good is that we would be conformed to christ that this work of sanctification of becoming less like the flesh less like our old man and more like christ that is our good that is the ultimate good is it not that is what God is doing in our life in, in conforming us to Christ, in sanctifying us. He's prepping us for glory. That's our good. That's what, he, that's what is good, that he's prepping us for that ultimate good when we're with Christ, when our faith is made sight. He's worked all things in our life. Here, here's, the, the here's the beauty of it. Here's the beauty of, of this chain in, in, in verses 29 and 30 of our salvation. That from your predestination all the way to your glory, from your calling and your, your your justification, all events in life, God has worked those things out. That he might bring you to glory. That's what is our good. And beloved, this is where safety is found. That no matter what experience you find yourself in, is you can rest in knowing that God is in control of that situation. There's safety there. And so our last big question here that we have to ask is, well, who is safe? Who can go into this base? Can anybody run into it? Is it believers? Is it available to all? Is it unbelievers? Is it a special subset of believers? Is it only obedient ones? Well, we're given really then two qualifications for who can find safety here. Ultimately, I think it is all believers because because all believers love God and have been called by God. And that's our two qualifications here. And so who is safe here first? Those who love God, right? We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. And isn't that an interesting qualification here, that he would say to those who love God? Because up until this point, what has really been his defining mark of a believer? Those who've been justified is someone who has faith, right? And so wouldn't it almost seem intra, or more in line with his argument here or, or Paul's flow of thought through the whole letter of Romans to say, to those who trust God or to those who obey God or to those who are putting to death sin. We might expect that. But what Paul is moving from here is he's, he's, he's moving from d- duty to desire. To those who love God. And this is, this is really the first time in, in, and only time, I believe, in Romans that he will refer to believers as those who love God. But it's very common in 1 Corinthians. He, he calls believers those who love God many times. He refers to it in chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, but also in, in 1 Corinthians 8, 3. I would just want to read this one for you. And then again in, in chapter 16. But this is what he says. I'll just read the context here. 1 Corinthians 8 says, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Okay? If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not known, yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. If anyone loves God, he is known by God. This is characteristic of a believer, someone who loves God. And so why is this important here? Well, one, unbelievers don't love God, right? Unbelievers hate God, Yeah. And only believers can love God. But there's really two reasons why this is important here, why it's important that it's, he uses this word love. One is, as I said, he's highlighting the believer's desires and delights in our life and on our sanctification. You know, chapter 6 and 7 really seem to emphasize more of our duty or our obligation to be putting sin to death and doing what is right. And now here he's, he's really moving to, the, to the, our desire. Because in the midst of suffering, we, we are armed to fight and persevere. We're motivated to keep going by a heart that loves God and a mind that loves the truth of the sovereignty of God. And when both of these things are in line, when our mind knows these things, our mind loves these things, our duty, our body, our, our actions, are putting death, to, uh, sin in our life, and choosing to do what is right, and then a heart that loves God, this, this, is, this is the holistic worship and obedience to God. So this is, this is really important, that our affection also is, is for God. I heard Chris, Pastor Chris, just say, uh, just this last week, someone was uh, questioning him and I about uh, uh, election. Does does your church, uh, uh, well, I think the question was precisely, what do you think about election? And Pastor Chris's first response was, I love it. I love it. Because he, he does. He's, and it's not just simply because Chris is a, a brainy guy and he and he just loves the intellectual stimulation of, of theological truth and connections and logical rational thought, which he does, but it's ultimately because he loves God and he loves what doctrines like this mean for your and I's life. We 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 love these truths. But second, it's also important because it shows what we love the most. Not just important because it shows what we desire, but what we desire most. Because a believer, you and I, beloved, as those chosen of God, those who who love God, we love Him more than ourselves, more than toys, more than stuff, more than comfort, more than anything else, more than any person in this life. But we love God and His glory the most. Everything else pales in comparison. And this is really reflected in how we spend our time, talents, and treasures, isn't it? Where do the most of those things go? Are we giving more to the eternal, eternal things of God? Are we investing in the one thing that Jesus promised to build? The one guarantee that will not fail? That He will build His church? Are we investing in that? With our time, talents, and treasures? Are we giving more to the temporary things that are falling apart and fading? This isn't a plea for money by any means, but a real a, a, a call to reflect on what do you love most? And where is that reflected? So we can say, do you, do you love God? And if the answer to that question is yes, then you are safe in the sovereignty of God. You're safe in the sovereignty of God. If you love God, and then secondly, if you've been called according to his purpose. And so I'm not going to necessarily go into all of this calling because in a couple weeks, Michael Beck is actually going to preach a whole sermon on it. Um, As we we go through it, in a couple weeks when my baby's born, Michael Beck's going to continue preaching. But ultimately, those who have been called... And this is the specific call. This isn't just the general call of the, of the gospel that we go and proclaim. That is the great commission that we go and we call all men to be saved. But this is, he's referring here now to the specific saving call of God. It's the same as, as, as he talked about back in chapter 4. Verse 17, when he says, As I have written, a father of many nations, I have made you. In the presence of him who he believed, even God, this is referring to Abraham, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist, namely faith. Seen here in the, in the, in the giving of, of Isaac, in the birth, this birth to people who were, who were beyond uh, childbearing age. And the impossibility of that illustrates the impossibility of us conjuring up or bearing faith on our own, apart from the miraculous call of God on our life. This call that creates faith. The faith that then justifies us. And this is true of all believers and only believers. Those called according to His purpose. And so who's safe, those who are loved of God and those who are called of God. But then what purpose have we been called towards? What is the purpose in all this? What is this verse referring to? Those who are called according to his purpose. Well, really, I think the Bible talks about two purposes. One from the context here and then one from the the greater uh, scope of the Bible but a purpose for this life and a purpose uh, with that's for another life. An eternal purpose. And so flip over to 2 Timothy. We're going to see some of the same language here. But I want you to turn and actually see this. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Two purposes that we've been called towards. And this here is our eternal purpose. Our eternal purpose. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse nine let's begin in verse eight just so we can see the context here therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our lord or of me his prisoner but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of god this is you see as you've been studying romans as we've been in this for months and months you see the same language that he's using here who this is god who has saved us and called us with the holy calling, not according to our works. Could we do anything to be saved? No, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. What was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity? Our election. right? Our election. What was granted to us? Him bestowing on us before the foundations of the world, his love upon us, that is his foreknowledge of us. What what happened before this, from eternity past? Also, he alludes to the same thing. Go back to Romans, in chapter nine. We'll get to this in several months here, but verse eleven. For though the twins, this is referring to Jacob and Esau. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, as we're looking at eternal purpose, why were we called? So that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. But of him who calls, this is Romans 9, 11. And so for what purpose have we been called to be a beloved of God. To be his son or daughter. From before foundations of the world. Before creation. God knew whom he would love. His purpose then was to choose us as his children. To enjoy eternity with. Isn't that astounding? Wow! That he of all things, of all people... That he would choose me? What love, what mercy, what honor. This is the eternal purpose to which we've been called. In the grand scheme of his, his sovereign work in our life, we knew began, it began before we were even around, before we were even physically in the picture. The sovereign work of God was at work on our behalf in this eternal purpose of his choice of us. But there's also an earthly purpose here. Seen again in in the context. We keep going to this. We'll look more in depth at it next week. But the earthly purpose ultimately in verse 29, conformity to Christ. Our sanctification. We know that whatever we are experiencing now in this life is ultimately an instrument in the hand of God to shape us into Christ's likeness. Beloved, sometimes isn't his work in our life, sometimes aren't the instruments like hammers that bruise or saws that have to cut away or sandpaper that scuffs up but then smooths out. To other times, the instrument is more like that cloth that is polishing, isn't it? It's his his sovereign work. His work of sanctification in our life. Becoming more like Christ. And all of this, all of this work in our life is for a grand purpose. Sometimes working on the obvious visible things. Sometimes on the hidden obscure places of our life. But this we can know. This we can be confident in. That whatever is happening, whatever situation you find yourself in in life that there is a purpose that god has been working it out from eternity and is working it for this very moment there's safety there isn't there is there a comfort a level of comfort for those who love god for those who are called according to his purpose namely those of you who believe those of you who are in christ isn't there a measure of safety that we can find in this? That God is at work for my benefit? That God has been working these things out? This isn't just a reactionary uh, uh, event that's happening in my life or something's happening and God's like, oh, i got to react to this or I've got to make up for that. No, that God always and only acts. He never reacts. God is at work. He has set all things in motion. And we can rest there. There's a base that we can come back to in this. If you find yourself outside of Christ, if you are an unbeliever, you've not repented of sin and turned to Christ in faith, then you will always be running aimlessly. You may think you will find safety in something or someone or some job or identity, but you will find it Be easily penetrable and always vulnerable. It will fail you. But turning to Christ, you will find safety from sin. You'll be freed from the penalty of sin that's due to all of us. Because Christ paid for it. You will be set on a different path. Not necessarily one that will come easy or without hardship. But there will always be safety and security in the midst of it. That's the good news of the gospel. That Christ came, paid that penalty. He ascended and brothers and sisters, he's coming back. And I pray that he comes back soon. Because then we'll be freed from even the presence of sin. No more hardship, no more tears, none of that. So if you find yourself outside of Christ, turn to Christ tonight. For those of us who are in Christ, believers, isn't the sovereignty of God a firm foundation? This here is floodproof. The sovereignty of God is flood-proof. It is storm-proof. It is hurricane-proof. It is wind-proof. It is wreck-proof. Oh, sure, they're going to rage around you. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean that the storms won't come. It doesn't mean that floods won't come. It doesn't mean that wrecks won't happen. But here you can run, confidently knowing that He is providentially at work. And here you can run, deeply knowing, deeply knowing, the sanctifying work that He is doing in you. Oh, it may hurt. But the effect... The product is oh so much better. The closeness to Christ, knowing this deep, deep love of Jesus, is so much better. There's safety here. Call all of us. I want us all to know the safety zone, the base found in the sovereignty of God. Love this truth, love this doctrine. Don't let it go when things seem to be spinning out of control. Come back to this. Know this. Be confident in it. You may not know how to pray. You may not know the way out. You may not necessarily know, but you know that God is going to provide a way out. You know that there is safety here, that He is unfailing. That He is awesome. So there's a base here. There's no bad news, no tragic events, no unexpected knock on the door. No hurtful words can crumble these walls. The sovereignty of God is an impenetrable fortress for believers to run to, to know, to love. Come seek shelter here. All you who love God and are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we know it's no accident that we are here tonight. It's no accident that uh, this scripture is included here for our good, because you've communicated it to us. It's no accident that we find ourselves in whatever life situation we're in, whatever job we're in, whatever things going on in our families, with our kids, our spouses, grandkids whatever things we're wrestling with, know that those are no accidents, God. We know that you are in control, that you will receive the glory, and that you have something to teach us, whether specifically in the moment or over the long haul. So help us to love this. Help us to rest tonight. Help us to rest this week in your sovereign hand. Your providential work on our behalf. Thank you for beginning that from uh, before the foundation of the world and carrying it out even to this day all the way through your return and for eternity yet to come. We love you, God, tonight. We rest in the depths of your love. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.